Your lazy pastor sent me to preach to you today to share a little bit about my experiences. My name is Benjamin. You can call me Ben for short. I met Jesus two times in my life, and my life was never the same. Actually, the first time I met Jesus was on an amazing, amazing day, one of the most amazing days in all of your New Testament. And this morning, I want to tell you about both times that I met Jesus. First time I'd heard about Jesus, but uh, this rabbi from, from Nazareth, but I'd never seen him, never had met him until one day he comes into my town. I hail from the, from the town of Nain, which is a, it's in southern Galilee, just south of a town you might have heard of called, called Nazareth. And so Jesus was there in my city one day. He came with a, a big crowd into my city. Well, in actual fact, I was, this first day I met Jesus, I was a little angry, more than a little mad at Yahweh. You see, I was going down Main Street of Nain as a funeral bearer of my best friend, my best friend, Zachariah. Your, your New Testament doesn't even have his name, but his name was Zachariah. His mother was like a second mother to me. I still remembered with, with such fondness and with such clarity the boyhood adventures we would have on the, on the foothills of nearby Mount Tabor. And so I was grieving that day. I was, I was so sad. I was gutted to, to lose my best friend. But that day, all I could think about was Zachariah's mother. You see, she had lost her husband some time before. And you don't get this, but, but when a Jewish mother loses her husband and her only son, it's like you losing your, your pension, your Social Security, and, and, and Medicaid all on the same day. Destitution was knocking, indeed pounding down this mother's door. And all of us in name was gut-wrenching. Funeral for Jewish community. Funerals usually begin at 6 o'clock in the evening after the, the day's work is done. And so I saw it with my own eyes. Zachariah's mother lay him on a, on a wicker basket, face up, arms across his chest. And so at about 6 o'clock, it seemed like the, the whole village, all 500 of us, suddenly and spontaneously gathered at her home, and we, we began the funeral procession down Main Street, out of town, east to the graveyard. And you don't know why we do this, but, but the, it's the women who, who lead the, the funeral procession. For us, it makes perfect sense. Well, women were the ones who brought sin into the world, and, and sin leads to death. And so it only seems right that, that women should lead the funeral procession, but it never occurred to me until that very day how this could heap shame upon sorrow to this mother's heart. And so right behind the, the women of the town, it was us holding the wicker basket of Zechariah's body. In the back, there was the heading up the funeral procession was the flautists and, and the paid mourners. And the, the paid mourners chanted, uh, Weep with us, all you who are bitter of heart. Weep with us, all you who are bitter of heart. 
This was a gut-wrenching experience for the whole community. And as we came out of the city gate, suddenly I saw for the first time in my life, I saw Jesus. And what was so surprising to me is that in this co-mingling of two crowds coming out of the city gate, he didn't notice the crowds. He didn't notice all the commotion and all the noise. He didn't even, uh, you know, focus in on the dead body. But his gaze, I could see it, it went straight away to the mother. His gaze went straight away to the mother. He really saw her. He really saw her in all of her grief and in all of her tears. And truth be told, he felt like he saw her like like none of us had really seen her since the day that her child had died. He didn't even know her, and and yet it seemed like he knew her the best of any of us. I don't know if you know what compassion looks like but but when you see compassion you often see it through the eyes you see compassion through the eyes eyes that are soft and tender eyes that are attentive and concerned and Jesus with amidst all the crowds amidst this commingling of the crowds he focused on the mother we could all see it that day it's like his, his compassion came from from deep within his heart and his heart went out to this mother was compassion. In a word, it was, was love. And I know that, Greek, uh, that Luke, the historian, he, he had to have interviewed someone there in our town because we all saw it that day, the way that, that Jesus' heart just went out to this mother. And he uses one of these big Greek fancy words, splazitsomai, which means from his compassion came from his innermost parts, from the very depth of his inner parts. You have the word spleen from this Greek word. But, but we all saw it, that Jesus' compassion came from the very depths of who he was. His focus was on the mother. So he comes to this mother, and he says the most incredible instruction. In the midst of her tears, in the midst of her death, he says, do not weep. Do not weep. It would be like you if if your, your young daughter just barely scraped her knee and then she comes in crying and crying and, and you see it's nothing bad at all and you say, don't cry, don't cry, everything's going to be okay. This is what Jesus is doing with death. Jesus is before death and he's treating it like a little small scrape on a knee. Do not weep. Everything's going to be okay. And there was hope that day only because Jesus was there. Only because Jesus was there. And so Jesus, do not weep. And then he just stopped the whole funeral procession just by touching the wicker basket. Just by his touch, all of us, the whole crowd seemed to freeze as one person. A lesser man, a less powerful man, to, to stop a, a big crowd, they would have waved their arms wildly. They would have shouted at the top of their lungs. People without power tend to overstate things. People with real power tend to understate things. Just with a touch, he stopped 
the entire funeral procession. I've actually heard it said that in, in Rome, in the Colosseum, that the, that the Caesar with such great power, just with a, a small gesture, can gesture thumbs up or, or thumbs down and decide matters of life and death. People with real power tend to understate things. This was Jesus. He had power, but he was so tender. Usually people with power aren't very tender and usually people with with tenderness aren't so powerful but Jesus had both he was both gentle and tender and powerful and strong all love rolled up into one and so he stopped us in his tracks just by a signal by just touching the wicker basket and he said to my best friend I say to you young man Arise! And, and we all saw it that day. Zachariah began talking. He began talking and the, and the whole town burst forth into joy and, and praising God. And some of us were, were, were seized with fear, but, but a joyful fear. And we began to say, oh, God has visited His people. A great prophet has arisen among us. And we all thought straight away of the prophet Elijah. Just three miles away, 800 years ago. It was still talked about to this very day. It was the stuff of legend in the town of Nain. So many years ago, Elisha had also raised to death an only son of a couple. And so we began to think that someone greater than Elisha had actually come to Nain. Somebody greater than Elisha was here amongst us and it was amazing. And so well, with all the hooting and hollering, I noticed something so special about Jesus. Do you know what it was? I was just six feet from Jesus, and amongst all the, 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 the hollering and all the hooting and all the joy and, and, the, and the unbelievable nature of this miracle, I focused on Jesus. And you know what? His eyes never left Zachariah's mother. He was laser-focused in on the mother. And so he goes and he, he helps Zechariah down from the wicker basket and then he, he goes and, and gives Zechariah back to his mother, so strong and so tender. That day Jesus loved my friend Zechariah. But boy, did he love the mother. And people today, they still ask me, Benjamin, what... What made you follow Jesus? Was it, was it the big miracle in your town? Was it, you know, I'd heard that Jesus was giving food and feeding thousands there in Galilee? Was it any of those things? And I tell them, and I, and I know it sounds a little hokey, it was Jesus' love. No one ever loved like Jesus loved. You could see it in his eyes, the way that he looked at this mother was just full of love. Who else, just by looking at you, can communicate such love without even speaking to you? This was Jesus. And it captured my heart. Well, the second time I saw Jesus was a couple years later. My family and I, we were going up to Jerusalem for 
to celebrate the Passover. Yeah, you, you guessed it. Zechariah and his mother was there. They went, we all went from the town of, of Nain to see Jesus. And we were staying right outside of Jerusalem by the, by the Mount of Olives. And one day, I noticed a crowd. So I, I peeked up and there was Jesus. And, you know, I'd always heard that these guys from the temple, these guys from the temple were always trying to trap Jesus. Always trying to trap them with their tricky religious questions. And so there was this religious lawyer, and he was asking one of these 10 million drachma questions of Jesus. You know the type, trying to trick Jesus. And before I tell you what Jesus said, I've got to tell you what was going on in my own life. You see, I'd gotten away, and I was there at the temple in the morning and at night, and I was with my family, and and, and life had just been going so fast, too quick for my own good. You know, I was, I was trying to be a good husband to my wife. I was trying to be a good a father to my ever-growing amount of, of kids. And then I was tending my flocks. I was tending my fields. I was working a second job for the Romans just to make ends meet. And there, there was that, that pesky fence that went around the edge of my property. Every week it seemed like I had to repair the fence. And then just last season, last season I had to dig the well just a little deeper and so that the, during the dry season our family wouldn't run out of water. My life was going so fast. I know you can't uh, relate to this at all. You with your newfangled technology, you guys driving cars here to the synagogue, but I had to drive a mule, you know. My life was way more difficult than your life. And so I was telling myself, Benjamin, Benjamin, something has to change in your life. You are going way too fast. What can you do? And then Jesus replied to this lawyer, it was like a breath of fresh air washed over my life. Somehow everything began to make sense. All the different activities began to put, be placed in their proper perspective, in their proper order. He said to this religious lawyer, you don't have 50 things to do today. You don't even have 20 things to do. God doesn't expect of you nine things to do today. And he said to this lawyer, and I think he'd say it to you, and I definitely felt him saying it to me, Benjamin, religious lawyer, you have two things to do today. You have two things to do today. Love God and love others. Two things to do today. Love God and love others. Of course, I'm putting it in my own Benjamin way, but Jesus actually said you, the greatest command is that you love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And as I've looked back at that second meeting with Jesus, this is the most urgent thing. And I often thought, you know, Benjamin, before you wake up each and every morning, before your Feet hit the ground. Remember these words of Jesus. Benjamin, you just have two things to do today. Love God. And love others. Boy, I have noticed that when these two things aren't like ninth and tenth or 
49th and 50th on my to-do list that day, life seems to recover joy. There's a fullness of life. There's a beauty in life when these two things are placed right at the beginning of your day, right at the center of your heart. There's joy, there's beauty, there's life to the fullness. I often have to remind myself that these two are the most important things, that everything else isn't the urgent thing, that everything else can wait till later, that everything else is the extraneous thing, that these two things, to love God and to love others, these two things are the most important things. And of course, they flow from who Jesus was. I started following Jesus and I'd heard about all these stories circulating in, in southern Galilee about, about Jesus from his disciples. His disciples say that Jesus would, would often go early in the morning just to the lonely places in Galilee to be with the Father. That Jesus, you know, despite people knocking at his door at all hours and, and bringing people to heal him, and he had disciples to teach, that he would get away in, in southern Israel to, to the desert places just to be with the Father. And the disciples would tell everyone that would listen that Jesus loved being with the Father. And I often thought, you know, after Jesus and his disciples stopped talking, the, the many miles that they, they, they roamed around in Israel, how often Jesus, just journeying on foot, would have just been so content just quietly talk to the Father, to commune with the Father, to be with the Father. Jesus loved the Father. And of course, He loved others. I saw it very firsthand in, in, my, in my town of Nain that, that Jesus so gently and so powerfully helped Zechariah down and, and gave him to his mother. Such a beautiful act of love. That everywhere Jesus went, he, he healed, but it was all out of, a, out of a love and out of a compassion that flowed from his innermost being. I'd often thought about that second meeting with Jesus, how it changed my life, restored to me the, the man that I wanted to be, made the right thing, the main thing, the main thing in my life. All my other tasks of being a father and of being a husband and doing work and all the responsibilities, they all sort of started to make sense when I reminded myself, Benjamin, you have just two things to do today, to love God and to love others. I want to share with you a, 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 a song that one of our poets from the, the, the town of Maine wrote a few years ago. I don't know if you've heard, you probably haven't heard it, but, but in, the, in the midst of this poem, in the midst of this song, Webb Wilder, one of our poets from Nain, has this little verse that says, put love above everything else and the rest will take care of itself. Put love above everything else and the rest take care of itself. And how true that has been in my own life. When loving God and loving others is the, the, the most important thing, the first thing that before I even wake up in the morning, Benjamin, remember today, you have two things to do today. Life recovers joy. 
and beauty and right priorities for all of life. And so I hope you remember that today was the day that, that Benjamin came and he told you what I, what I heard him tell that, that religious lawyer, that you have two things to do today. And then tomorrow, you have two things to do tomorrow. And then the, the day after tomorrow, you have two things to do on that day, that every single day, the rest of your lives, you just have two things to do today. Love God. Love others. And if you put love above everything else, the rest is going to take care of itself. 